0: Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely.
1: We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that
0: understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy.
1: In the spirit of reconciliation, IVF Tales would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. As we continue to share fertility stories, we would like to recognise the long-standing knowledge of the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet today and pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.
0: How are you today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah, good, 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 yeah. good, 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 This cool, is cool, why cool. I put those prompts because I was like, I don't know what to What's talk about. about. Well, we
1: are returning after after a long time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we hope everyone's well mm-hmm. and um,
0: all of our regular listeners are listening again. And yeah. And anyone who's new. Yeah, welcome to our Irish listeners. Yeah, our Irish fan base yeah apparently we've got a few people in ireland listening so if you are from ireland send us a message on instagram yeah let or us know how you found us latest and post.
1: yeah that's yeah. awesome
0: we'd love to chat <laughs> yeah i think it's so crazy how it pop, must pop up on their podcast app yeah. i don't know maybe searching for ivf or so, something yeah, yeah so definitely um if you're listening
1: from ireland or even another country mm-hmm. in the world not just australia mm-hmm. um Yes, bring us a DM and tell us how you
0: found us. Because mm. that's crazy to us that yeah. we're recording from <laughs>
1: Ipswich in yeah.
0: Queensland. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we started like interstate, I was like, oh wow, people from other states mm. are listening. Perth. And yeah. yeah <laughs> now it's fucking Ireland. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um so
1: today our podcast, our interview, is with Alicia. Um, She was wonderful to interview. Mm -hmm. Um, We moved with a different... We we went sort of in a different direction with this interview, didn't we? So um, she discusses her IVF journey briefly, but the main
0: focus of this episode is her adoption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So she talks about um, looking at international adoption at first uh, and then eventually moving into the foster care system and adopting Mm -hmm. from there um Mm. yep she adopted two siblings Mm -hmm. um within 12 months of each other yeah and
1: so should we talk about um a lot of uh, the emotional aspects of that process Mm -hmm. and also her parenting Mm -hmm. through or her parenting children that are quite young with trauma Mm -hmm. already Mm -hmm. so um Yeah, so we we still talk about her IVF journey, but we wanted to
0: sort of provide, um, I don't know. I think that aspect of you don't always need to give birth to be a family. Yes, and also that sometimes IVF doesn't lead to
1: having a child, Yes, right? So there's other revenues, and we always, uh, our fertility families, Mm -hmm. you know, people were always saying, well, what about adoption? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I think we really sort of wanted to investigate this avenue a little bit more and talk about it. Yeah. So I think she wanted to – she looked at um, inter-country adoption through Columbia Mm -hmm. and then New South Wales changed their laws, which meant she could adopt adopt through foster care. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I think her story is really interesting. I learnt a lot talking to her. Yeah. yeah, so we hope that you guys enjoy listening to her episode as much as we enjoyed recording it.
2: Thanks for joining us today, Alicia. Thanks for having me. Now, if you just want to tell us a little bit about who you are and who's in your family.
3: Um, so I'll give my age first because I think that's important. So I'm 34, um, I'm married and I've got two kids. They're both currently five at the moment, they're 11 months apart. Um, I started IVF and I was 22, so really, really early. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you want me? To... Yeah.
2: Did you? Yeah. If you want to tell us a little bit about like your IVF and your fertility journey.
3: Sure. So I was 22 when I got married, and things, you know, weren't working. So we went and seen an IVF specialist who, who ran a few results and, and discovered that I had polycystic ovaries. So not the syndrome, just the rubbish ovaries. Um, all in all, we did 16 rounds of IVF. Um, in that, I was pregnant five times. I had three ectopic pregnancies and two miscarriages. Um with the ectopic pregnancies, you have to get uh, like a chemo drug given to you. So it forces a miscarriage. Um, so that makes you pretty sick. One of the times I did lose um, my right um, fallopian tube because they, they caught it too late. Um, In that time, I also was hospitalised a lot. I had on the second egg collection um, surgery I had, they sent me home with internal bleeding. Um, I couldn't even walk, so the, the nurses actually had to walk me to my car and at about midnight we had to call an ambulance and yeah, I was nearly in intensive care for about a week they got that all under control. Um, I also developed um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome on top of the internal bleeding. Um, So I had quite a lot of professors and, you know, board of directors of hospitals coming to see me and and record everything because I hadn't had to treat that ever. Um, So that was interesting. Um, We did that. We had a break for a little bit. I also did a lot of like guinea pig trials, as they say, so testing new drugs that are onto the market Um, because I was such an unusual case, so they thought they would just test everything on me. So that includes, like, steroids and things to lower my immune system. Um, Some of the things were having before an, um, an embryo transfer, going in and having my uterus scraped. So it would take an embryo um, more readily, which isn't done anymore, thank God. Um, so that's quite painful. Um, I think it's very hard when everyone has to see you. The first couple, we, we tried to keep it pretty quiet and a bit of a secret because it's just, I don't know, you just feel a bit ashamed, I suppose, at the start. Um, you know, you should be able to just go and have kids because you're young and you're healthy and, and that's your job. So to speak, um, but then, after yeah, getting admitted to hospital quite a few times, it's pretty hard to to keep that quiet. Um, once everyone knows about it, it's a lot a lot easier on you because if something happens, there's a lot of people to support you and help you through those really hard times. Um, about ten cycles in, we started looking at adoption. Um, because, yeah, we just – everything was – everything had a complication. Um, we started looking at intercountry adoption because in New South Wales it was really hard to adopt at that stage from foster care. There's no such thing as, like, orphanages or anything in New South Wales, so majority is, is from foster care, and it just wasn't a done thing at that stage. Um, so we looked at a few programs overseas – that they're very, very strict. So you have to be married for a certain amount of time. Um, a lot of them are religious, so you have to be a certain religion um, to it, for them to even consider you um, to be able to adopt. We decided on Columbia. Um, we had to go to docs and do three days of training with them and pay for them to assess us, um, which was done. Then We spent about four years on the waiting list um, to adopt through there and you have to join certain support groups and, and meet families who have done it to prove, you know, you're doing everything you can um, start learning the language um, that the baby is used to, those type of things. And then we got a phone call just before Christmas saying that the program in Colombia was, was put on hold. So they weren't taking any um, applications. And then at the same month, the adoption in New South Wales changed. So the legislation, so you could adopt from foster care. So children were given adoption orders from birth. um, So you could start that process. So we started that process. And in the meantime, we still, you know, did the odd IVF cycle when there was a, a new drug or a new method that they'd like to trial. Because if I could help someone else, like I have friends who've done IVF who've become pregnant using the drugs that I was tested with. So that's a, it was worth it in a way.
2: Yeah. Do you mind if I ask, like, were you ever diagnosed with something that was causing the infertility or was it just Yeah, a I, I've ovary? got – yeah,
3: I literally just have the, the polycystic ovary. So mine are the more severe case. So I've had a quite um, a few case studies done on them. Because it's it's odd that, like I'm, I'm not overweight and have all the other issues associated with the syndrome um, that they hadn't really seen a lot of. Um, but yeah, they just they just could not, for the life of them, get a, get my ovaries under control at all. I, I had an egg harvest once, and I had thirty five eggs removed, which they say could, the average yes. is about six. So.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there was there was no male factor um infertility on your with your fertility no. journey at all just no, primarily my yep. fine. okay fine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, lovely. So after you um they closed the Colombian adoptions and New South Wales changed um was it did they change their laws or just like sort of their guidelines? What what exactly changed there?
3: um before with the columbia program so when you adopt you're not allowed to go back to that country and look for you know birth parents or anything until the child's 18 and mm-hmm. someone adopted from another country went back looking for the birth parents when the child was about 7 and then that caused a lot mm-hmm. of drama because the father was you know incarcerated for life so he wasn't getting out but you know he was saying that he never had a choice in any of it so that's why they closed the whole program to investigate that. So that was closed for years. Mm-hmm. So that's why, yeah, we had a friend who worked in, what's it called now, FACS, who, who called us and said, you know, the legislation's changing and you can adopt now from foster care, like straight from foster care. So that's why we started that journey.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the regulations around adopting from foster care? Um, just coming from a place where I have little to no idea about it,
3: that's all. Yeah, of course. Um, there's actually a lot to it. So it's about 12 months of assessments. So you'll have two caseworkers come out to your house and they'll do interviews over oh, months. A bit. It'll be like full-day interviews, um, just asking. You have to fill out what your whole life story is. You have to have full medicals. You're not allowed to smoke, so it's 100% non-smokers which is a new thing that they've introduced. Um, they says they go through your whole house and ask you every intimate thing you could ever imagine, um, bank statements, like you have to give them everything. Um, you have to have a certain amount of, of um, savings. There's no money. So general foster care, foster carers get paid, but when you want to adopt from foster care, there's no payment. So there's no payment through the government for like maternity leave or anything like that because – you're adopting through an agency and then there's no money through the agency because they see it as, well, you have to, you know, prove that you can look after the child without any funding. So there's a lot of, oh, yeah, black holes that you just sort of just fall into and there's not a lot of help in that regard. Um, that took, we started the assessment, I think it took about 12 months for us to get assessed and the February we got approved. Um, and then we've got a phone call in May of that same year saying that there was a little girl who was available for adoption that she was, you know, she was, um, born and, you know, they decided that she, she, you know, was never to be returned to birth family. So she had adoption orders from birth. Um, and in saying that the little girl was an Indian girl, which is fine, but they were like, you know, what knowledge do you have of the Indian culture and you still have to be able to, you know, take her to, you know, because the family, the birth family still have a lot of say in what you can and can't do. So it's not just like they're your child and that's it. So, you know, it still wanted you to, to take them to Indian temples and, and you know, know all the Indian culture and learn the language and I, I, I'm not personally friends, like close friends of anyone from that culture. So we had to say no because we wouldn't be able to keep up with with what they wanted, which was really, really hard. And then in the August, we got another phone call saying there was a little girl who was yeah two and a half months old. And yeah, we had to again, go and meet with the um, caseworkers, and they would take us through all the things that we need to to do to keep up with our part of the bargain. So, um, there's a lot of visits with siblings, so you have to meet with the siblings still all the time, the birth family contact is all the time, there's a lot of legal obligations. Um, yeah, there's there's still a lot to it. It's not just like they go, he, here's your kid and, and that's it. They still see you every week or two and then it's every month for years that they that they come and still assess you and assess your parenting and... Yeah, it's, it's a long process. It's it's a never-ending process.
1: Um, how did you find that process, that transition between IVF and making the decision to adopt? How did you find that process emotionally? Sort of if you wouldn't mind just like walking us through your thoughts around that, I think um, like essentially how did you sort of let go of the notion of having a child of your own and how did you feel about that?
3: I suppose that the notion of having a child at first it was yet yeah, we have to have our own child like it was it was so important and then the longer we did it the more we realized, like what why was it so important like we'd been through so much and it's so hard to watch everyone around you want you to stop doing what you're doing obviously because it's it's causing you pain and, and harm but you get to a stage and it's kind of like a selfish stage you don't want the IVF to win sort of thing it's 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 an odd feeling that you, that you get we're just like no 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 it won't beat me like I will beat this I, you know I will come out on top and and after a while you just have to think it's not worth it anymore like there's so many kids out there who who genuinely deserve like a loving home and and to know what love is that 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 unconditional sort of support and then the more we got into it and the more we looked into you know adoption and and fostering and and there's so many beautiful kids out there and you just think we we knew a foster carer and they had kids coming and going all the time and like oh yeah they go back to their parents and then you know they'll come back half a dozen times and I thought I would just love to you know share my home with a, a, a child who deserves better so everyone goes oh yeah you're so lovely. You adopted, but it's not about us. It's about like the kids deserve better than than what they, you know, were born into. Um, it's it's a really hard process. Um, I know with our second child, my husband had a really hard time connecting with him. He was a really really hard baby. Obviously, they're not born the healthiest kids. Um, they come with a lot of baggage like mental baggage and they're only a couple of months old, you think, how can that happen? But they, they just, they remember everything. Like I, I couldn't have electronic toys in the house. Um, yeah, any kind of sudden noise. I couldn't go to the shops because it was just such sudden noises. He would just have a panic attack and and, and couldn't, couldn't process anything. So it's not just you're given this child and it's like, oh, it's so great. Like, you know, all our problems are solved. A lot of work goes in with the the carers about you go through a trauma because you have to get rid of your own loss and then you're dealing with a child who has their sort of loss issues as well because they've lost their birth family as such. So it, it does bring it up a lot. Yeah, so, so you really have to be really focused on, on not bringing your own trauma onto them because they're dealing with their own stuff as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important point because for any aspect of parenting is um, sort of attempting to heal your own trauma and, you know, meet your own unmet needs sort of before you can sort of meet the other person's needs, if that makes sense. So I think that's a really important – yeah, it's a really important point you've brought up there, especially with these kids. Um, One of my close friends works for Department of Child Safety um so you know you're right in saying that some of these kids are coming from less than ideal homes and and areas and you know they might only be a few months old or a year old but like you've said they've already taken on so much and that's like you know arguably the most important time in their life is that first sort of development period you know their brain doubles in size and things like that so yeah um so you said that you got a little girl, um, and she was a couple of months old. Mm -hmm. Um, how long was it from, you know, um, or actually, sorry, I might backtrack a little bit. How was it, um, bringing her into your family? You know, what, what were the feelings sort of around that? And how did you find that transition from going, you know, from a two person family to a three person family?
3: Um, I found it really easy. Actually, it was harder with my second, (laughs) um, with the first, yeah, I, w- I was just so ready. I was just so ready to, like, to do it. I've been through so much and you don't realise how strong you are until you've been through so much. You realise, like, yeah, this is nothing. Like, w- whatever is, is, is coming that, that I can I can help and I can do this. And if, if the child's not strong enough to deal with it, I'll deal with it on their behalf and, you know, I'll champion their needs because you just have this – inner strength that you didn't realise you had until you go through so much or so many challenges, you just, I don't know, you, you just feel so much stronger to be able to deal with with what's going to happen. Um, my whole family were overjoyed at, at, you know, at her coming home and, and meeting her and and doing everything. That, like everyone was really, really on board with it and it was – it, you're always a bit nervous because my dad was the only one who vocalized his thoughts. And he said, you don't know what you're getting, you know, that they could be from a family whose God, you know, God knows what. And I said, yeah, but you don't know what genetically is in your own family really. If, if you're not, you know, on top of it, you know, what's come through generations and, and he literally would do anything for my daughter. He, the things he does for her. But you just, yeah, yeah. so it, it is a bit to take on because not all family, like we still have members of extended family who will make stupid comments like, oh, they're not blood, but they do this like you did when you were a kid or, um, yeah, do, oh, why do you still have to see, you know, the grandparents, like the paternal grandparents or why do you still Jeez, have to see rough, the hey? siblings? Yeah, and you think – well, the paternal grandparents, like it's not their fault that their son or daughter turned out the way they turned out or decided to make poor choices. That's not on them. They still have a right to see their grandkids. And and the same thing with the siblings. Like my son would be the last one and there's six of them. There's six kids all together. So, I, I mean, I, I have siblings and I think – if I couldn't have a close bond with my siblings I, I don't know where I would be in life like it's there's such an anchor to you know your history and your family and growing up so we see them all the time and they're part of my family they I mean they come to birthday parties and family celebrations and they're welcome just like anybody else but it it is you do have to be on top of it some people just yeah. Into- they accept it, but do you I don't mean, know if they truly yeah. accept it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So um, you said that you've gotten um, – you also got a little boy. Is that the little boys from the same family?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: yeah. – Do you want to walk us through that?
3: Yep. So my daughter came home in the October – And in December we got a phone call saying the birth mother was pregnant again. And usually if you, you know, do the adoption from foster care, you can't take another child in for twelve months. That's that's their their rule. You have to give that child twelve months to to bond and and to get to know and everything. So it was really quite an uncertain time, like would we be able to 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 take him on or not? So we had to get more assessments done we also had a lot of pushback from family saying it's too much you can't have two you know two kids under one (laughs) um especially with with their their needs that they've got um but no we were just like you know no matter how hard it is the kids deserve to be together and with each other and grow up together and no matter what we have to do we'll just get it done and yeah so we, we went through the the whole thing we had to get independent legal advice because um birth mum went interstate so different states have different laws in regards to that but um yeah we we brought him home so we had yeah two two kids under one which was great
1: There's been plenty of people that have done that before. Didn't you say that you wanted Irish twins, too? Yeah,
2: yeah, my entire life. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have Irish twins. It'll be fine. It'll be great. I
3: don't, I don't recommend it. <laughs>
2: now I'm like oh god yeah mm-hmm.
1: a lot of work a yeah lot of you're work. not the first person to do that yeah <laughs> so much work um so how you said earlier that you found the transition from one to two a little bit more challenging um in terms of his needs or was it just sort of the expansion of your family and the shifting dynamics and relationships within your family
3: um probably all of it if I'm honest um it's Mm -hmm. really hard and I think any parent can understand when you have one kid and you're you're going to have another you sort of get that will I be able to love you know another child as much as I love my first child and I know deep down a lot of people sort of think that and I did the same thing I thought oh my god what am I going to do but with adoption it's not just like having a newborn child like they're a blank slate like they come with so many of their own issues. So my son was constantly sick. So we brought him home on the Thursday and the weekend we are in the hospital with him. So it was a constant, you know, he was sick. He had panic attacks. He had to be like, I had to be touching him 24 hours a day. Otherwise he would just do this God awful scream. And it was just, it was awful. My daughter stopped talking. Um, so she was only like one. Um, so yeah, she stopped talking, so we had to, you know, see specialists to make sure she was okay because it was so traumatic for her to have, you know, this baby who was constantly screaming and needing so much care. And then that affects, you know, your, your relationship with your husband as well, because you you know, you're constantly state of exhaustion but also loss because you, you're trying to do so much, but there's there's not a lot of help out there for young kids like babies with with complex sort of trauma needs it's like they'll treat you when you're older when the kids are older there's a lot of help but there's no help when your baby's little we had to do interviews to be accepted to see someone who will try and help us so to I mean it was six weeks to get an interview for these people for them to then sit down together and and then decide whether we were worthy enough of, you know, to go and have one appointment so they could try and help us and help, you know, my son. And I mean, and that's from a commercial, you know, agency. So when you look at adoption, it's, it's not, it's not easy. You really have to be really strong-willed and be like, I'm going to do everything. Like, I ended up seeing naturopaths and chiropractors for, you know, like a four-month-old baby. And our caseworker even said to me, it's like you're going to see a witch doctor, like he'll be fine. But you, you really have to try everything in your power to, to help them be the best that they can be and help them get over the, the trauma that they have because it, it's a lot. It's a lot. And then growing up, you have to teach them about we don't have contact with the birth mum. Um, she's not someone safe enough to, to be able to see the kids so you know I have to try and teach the kids that you know she's not a bad person or you know she's in jail or something like that it I you can't bring your emotions into it and a lot of family are not on the same page because they're fiercely protective of the kids um but you do have to you know sit back You
1: know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, I think there's a common misconception with people who struggle in their life with their own traumas and their own decisions and things like that, um, who birth these children. I think there's a strong misconception that, um, I don't know how to say this, um, uh, that when it comes to to punishment in our society, I feel that there's a very harsh line, and people aren't sort of compassionate. And there's a lot of people who don't believe in rehabilitation either. Yeah. And yep. obviously, I don't know your the birth mother's circumstances or anything like that. But um, and you know, this is very much my own personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know there needs to be a little bit more compassion within society for people who actually, you know, are addicted to drugs and, and things like that because it is an addiction. It's, it's a trauma response. It's a coping mechanism for people to sort of, you know, put aside their own things. And I think that's really upsetting. And I mean, what, what parent doesn't want to be able to take care of their biological children, you know, like I think everyone's first choice would really, would love to be that, you know, but circumstances surrounding that that make it impossible so I can't um,
3: agree more I say to the kids she's not a bad person she's just made bad decisions and it's I think Mm -hmm. it's so important because I don't want them to to see her as you know the enemy and oh she did this because of her selfish needs like I know her family history so you you do get a lot of history and and you know how they got into the circumstances they're in, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. So, in the in the same in the same breath, you feel so bad for them that their life has ended up the way it has, and you can see how it's ended up the way it has from their years of growing up and what's happened to them, you know, throughout their life. And then at the same time, you're so angry at them because of the the hurt that they've inflicted on their kids, and then their kids will have to deal with that for the rest of their life. So it's such a balancing act and, and I'll never ever say to the kids, she was a bad person or she chose drugs over this or anything like that. Like my son doesn't want anything to do of it. Anytime we talk about it, he's like, oh, okay. And then that's it. My daughter, however, will ask a million questions. Like why did she do this? And why did, in the you know, and I'll just have to say she's not a bad person. She's sick. She didn't have a nice childhood that you're having. And poor decisions and and that's how she's gotten into the place she's at it's it's just circumstances and I'm sure she would love to be able to see you and have something to do with you but unfortunately it hasn't worked out that way and that's sometimes life is just like that you can't We're creatures of
1: habit exactly yeah Yeah. and and we're creatures of habit and safety so we, we tend to repeat um things that make us feel safe even though they're not safe if that makes sense so if we if we grew up in a household that you know demonstrates love with yelling and and violence then there's a good chance that you're going to think that someone who does that loves you you know so I think we sort of repeat what we know and there's a whole cycle there that is very hard to break when you don't have exactly and if you can't break that cycle um if you you don't have the adequate support and the adequate knowledge um, that cycle is very, very hard to break. So, um, yep. you know, and it's, I think it's really important that you're being open with your kids about it as well, you know, like and just, you know, that you're not necessarily speaking ill of her as well because then that also, you know, those kids are going to grow up knowing that there's going to be elements of them like their birth parents. Yep. Um. Yep. So if you ever speak ill of those kids' parents and they're going to start to think, okay, well, that must mean that I'm, Bad too, or, or whatever you know. So I think that's exactly. a really positive thing that you're doing there. Yeah, keeping exactly. that The open. kids
3: have photos, like even though you know they haven't met her since they were born, they've got a photo. Like I've got photos, you know, when they were born in the hospital. Luckily, um, they do see their birth dad, and you know that that that's fine. They see their you know their paternal grandparents, and and that's fine. And and they have that you know good relationship. The other kids know a bit more because they were removed, you know, they are school age, so they remember a lot more. Um, and that's also part of having the close relationship with a sibling. So if my kids have any of those questions that they're not comfortable asking me or, or I don't have the answers, they can ask their siblings because they've grown up with them, they have that close relationship and they can say, hey, what was, you know, dad like or mum like or, you know, something like that without you know, and getting that unbiased sort of, dis, you know, answer from them as well. So when people say, oh, you have to have sibling contact, it's so important for the kids to know who they are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. How much support did you get um, with the two children, you know, sort of, You say, I get, I've heard you say caseworker, but in terms of, you know, um, like you said, you didn't get maternity leave and things like that from the government. Um, is there any other forms of support you were you were able to access or was it just sort of all all on you, you needed to sort of access, you know, you sort of needed to, to sort of figure out who you needed for support and all the rest of that?
3: There, there was no support. Um, we went through four caseworkers in one year at one stage. Um, so then you have to give them the rundown of the whole couple of years to a new stranger walking in your house again. Um, There's no support whatsoever. As I said, when the kids are older, like we, you know, we see the siblings and they've got so many different therapies and different things that they can get help with. Um, But for young, like baby, there's nothing. I I sat on the phone one night crying to, um, is it Possum Cottage or or wherever it is, you know, when you have, you know, troubled babies and they said it sounds like you're the one with the problem, not the baby. So that that was, oh my god, okay, was, great. Yeah, that was really, really supportive. Um, some people it would just oh, you just need to hold them. Um, the caseworker was like, oh, I googled and it sounds like he's a velcro baby, so you just need to hold him more. Oh my god. Um. Yeah. Oh my like,
1: god. Wow. Okay.
3: There's nothing. You, you have to see a pediatrician every six months, like that's that's their you know rule, and get an assessment sent to them. So you know they've got a report every six months of the kid seeing a pediatrician, which of course isn't covered by them either. Um, so yeah, a lot of it, yeah, you have to do. But there's yeah, there's you're really in that sense you're really on your own unless they're older. There's a lot of work and a lot of the you know caseworkers have a lot of contacts, but babies nah, no, nothing you, you're very
1: you're very um, on your you, own so did you have um, access and this feel free to not answer this question um and if you don't feel comfortable did you have access or did you you know ensure that you had access to a therapist or, or a psychologist or something to sort of help you through this time or no did, this, did it sort of come at a later date okay
3: um i i yeah. for the probably first 12 months, my son coming home, it was the hard, like I would literally just cry every day. It was horrible. Um, And no one really understands that, like how you can love your child, but you can't stand them. And it's, it's an awful thing to say. And I still get so upset about it because it was such a hard time, but you feel like you can't yourself get help because then when the adoption goes through, if, the birth parents decide to contest it they'll say oh well you had to seek treatment for depression or something so maybe you're not fit to adopt the kids and that has stopped adoptions before so okay. you feel like you've just got to wow. constantly Why put on that mental
1: health yes yeah, yeah. awful that's hard awful. that's really hard yeah
3: you just have to suck it up and pretend you're okay <laughs> while you're sitting there crying because you just you feel so out of control But, yeah, you you can't do anything for yourself because that'll be brought back on you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm speechless, to be quite (laughs) honest. I think that's really brutal.
3: Mm. Wow. It's really hard. Yeah. really hard.
1: Yep. 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 I mean, if people can't have children because they've got depression I mean that's like <laughs> probably like 75 percent of people <laughs> particularly people that have gone through fertility treatment
3: <laughs> yeah so like it's 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 the hardest thing you've ever gone through and then you've got these kids who've got all their own problems and you, you're trying to do the best you can for them plus not getting any support like no one knows what's wrong with these kids like oh they just need to be held like no he has anxiety, like even to this day he has anxiety. You can't just throw him into a new environment. He will just freeze and just clam up and he just that's it. Like that's the day, gone. So it's learning to yourself how to deal with the child and, and what best way you can do it instead of people like, oh, he'll just get over it, just throw him in, it'll be fine. You, I couldn't even give him a bath as a baby because water scared him. So...
1: I think people who say that, other people that sort of say, oh, I was raised like that and I'm fine and they down, yeah, yeah. probably not that great and you know, have little health. to no understanding of mental illness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all exactly. in your head.
0: Uh,
3: yeah, it is all in your head actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why it's called mental illness. Thank yeah. <laughs> wow. Tiff, do you have any questions?
2: Yeah, so – I wanted to ask with the training that you're required to do, like what are they actually training you for if they're not really giving you tools for support and things like that?
3: Um, the training is more you have to do a few face-to-face training courses so you meet with um, people who are also you know, further along so they've got kids in their care and they're, they're trying to adopt at the same time and how they're dealing with the whole adoption and dealing with birth family and, and those type of things some of the other training um is about some of the symptoms the kids will have so you know fetal alcohol syndrome um you know a, a, when when there's drugs alcohol domestic violence in in utero for a baby they they just come out and they're so different like they they're not your average newborn baby so It's little things like that, but you could go to a course with a doctor and he'll explain like all the signs to look out for that, you know, the child has certain things. Um, A lot of it is, you know, telling you that, you know, that there's a good chance that, you know, your child will have learning difficulties growing up or may have eyesight issues, speech problems. ADHD is a really big one. They're like, you know, pretty much guaranteed your child's going to have ADHD because of all the drugs, you know, in utero. So, you know, their brains are formed slightly different. I mean, it's not guaranteed. My daughter has it. Yes, my son doesn't. He's really intelligent and will sit and focus. Like He'll do my daughter's schoolwork and he's not at school, so it it really is very particular but it's very very negative based so it's all the problems that you'll probably encounter over the you know over your lifetime and and how to deal with different things um how to do life story books so you have to you know have a book for your kids to show them you know their their journey and how they came home and and how to keep that up i mean i don't know why you have to do a course to teach your kids about their family but that's something you have to do. Um, trauma in kids, there's, yeah, there's there's a lot of that type of thing.
1: Do they offer you ways of managing trauma within children and complex trauma and things like that, ways that you can sort of manage it within your family?
3: They do for older kids, yeah. So we did yeah, um, not babies. circle – for No, no, because they, they don't talk so you can't – you know, and even you know, at, you know, they're both actually five at the moment, so they're better. So a lot of it is you know teaching them how to use the words to explain. So my son will say, "My heart's going really fast right now," and I'm like, "Okay." So you sort of know how to how to deal with that, and um, so but as a baby, no. So, you know, it's a lot of talking and how to communicate better and and stay on a more positive tone. Um, You know, if they're going crazy and they're having a complete meltdown, like, okay, well, what is your body telling you? Or, you know, what are you feeling right now? Or What can I help you to get you through this? You know, I'm sitting here, you know, even if you're sitting in the room and, you know, they hate the world at the moment. It's it's all about those type of things. But for babies, no,
2: no, there's, there's nothing there.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, Tiff, do you have any more questions? Yeah.
2: So I was just going to ask if you could, like, talk to us about your relationship with your husband and how you guys coped during the whole process. Um, I'll start from the IVF because it's, yeah. Yeah, it's
3: been a bit of a process. So he was yeah. not a talker, didn't communicate anything. He was very much from a family who – you don't express your emotions or, or anything like that. You keep it all bottled up, which was really difficult. So one night he just burst out crying and just wouldn't stop crying. Um, so that's how, we, you know, I had just, you know, a lot more talking. And the more he started talking about it, he would actually then talk to his male friends about it. And then they would share their stories of, you know, like miscarriages or little things like that along the way. So it sort of helped the whole, you know, circle of friends and family around us in in that sense. And it got a lot better with, you know, the terminology of a lot of things. So he wasn't so lost and, you know, he would come to all the appointments, which so he could see, you know, how hard it was. So he was better at supporting me. Um, And then through doing that, you know, it was constantly like, you know, speaking all the time about, you know, what I'm feeling, what are you feeling? You know, you have to talk about it. And then when we started all the adoption and everything, it was really hard. And, you know, he would say, like, I'm having a hard time just bonding with him. I don't know what it is. So, But he actually would speak to his friend who's, you know, got kids and be like, did you ever have this? So it taught him a lot about uh, communication as well. And over time, it's like, I think you need to spend a bit more time, you know, with my daughter or with you know our son or, or whatever happens, you know. And even now, like, you know, if the kids are yelling or something, like, he'll yell straight back at them. And I'll say, you know, I'll have to sit both of them down and say, okay, well, you know, you did this wrong. So you say, you know, I'm sorry for doing this. I'll try harder next time. And I'll have to make my husband say it to my kids as well because (laughs) it just wasn't there before. Like, it's so bizarre. It's from a family who, you know, you just – you're right and you never apologise and that's that's how it is. So, yeah, you're kind of trying to help everyone's needs at the same time and, and make it
1: work. You're trying to reparent three or four different people, four separate people at the same time essentially. Yeah. You're trying to, you know, yeah. encourage him, the two kids and then yourself as well. Yeah.
3: Go- going through the adoption process, he actually turned around and said, I want the kids raised like Leash was raised not maybe like i was raised i can kind of see where the problems were so it was like okay yeah. so he he could acknowledge like okay how the the environment he was raised in wasn't the best so yeah
2: trying to help him as well
0: yeah, that's, that's crazy
2: um <laughs> Tiff, yeah. Are you so I was going to ask as well with um, like with talking to the kids about the adoption, is that something that you just start from the first day? Is there yeah, any sort of yeah, education forever. around that with the training? Yeah, um, there's a couple of kids books you can get
3: um that have got different things in it. You know, like divorces and. Um, you know, single parent families or, or you know, two dad, two mums, you know, adoption. There's there's a lot of books out there, which is really good. Constantly talking to them about it. So not just like, let's sit down at the table and talk about adoption. Because I think that's really confronting for a kid. So it's yeah. more just when you see little things or a cartoon, be like, oh, that's like you guys. And they're like, oh, Yeah. Um, so yeah, just you know, it's sort of always there in, you know, just general conversation, so it's never a thing you have to bring up.
2: Sorry, my son.
1: Is that them in the background?
3: <laughs> my son. He's like I spilt water. <laughs> he's trying <laughs> to keep it up. I like keep putting my finger on my lips for him to be quiet.
2: that's That's okay that's all right (laughs)
0: it's been pretty good
2: (laughs) so
1: cute yeah
2: (laughs) um I was gonna like ask so I think we romanticize adoption a lot um I think Mm -hmm. you know we were talking before we started recording about the comments you get with IVF and why don't you look at adoption why don't you do this why don't you do that and I think it's something yep. like we all think about. Do you have any advice for anyone who is maybe almost at that point or is starting to think about that over fertility treatment? Like, is there anything you would say to yourself or to someone in that situation?
3: Yeah, I would say you have to be ready for it. So I started the adoption, I think I was still in two minds. Like I was still like, Oh, maybe you know, if I take my focus off the IVF and focus on the adoption, you know, IVF will work at the beginning, which, which wasn't the right way to sort of go about it. And then I got to a point where I just said to my husband, I'm done. And it's, we donated the rest of our embryos to science and there was no turning back at that point. Um, I was really, really, you know, ready for it just to be finished and over and, and start the new process and, and put all of our energy into the adoption. So not not in two minds, but you really have to be a hundred percent. Like close the book on IVF before you start the adoption, and be really strong because people say the dumbest things to you and and the most ignorant things to you, um, and they'll say it in front of their kids, like, "Oh, you're so lucky that you know your mum got you," or and it's just that's awful thing to say to a child um so you you how is it implies to, that they had
1: some sort of control over that?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's just like no, that they, they had no control over their circumstance, and that's why I say to the kids it's it's not, oh, you know, I'm lucky you know that I came along and saved you. That's awful, like you needed you know you needed and deserved better than what you had. And I was able to provide that. And, and I love being able to provide that for you. So it yeah, it's, it's about shifting it, but it's, it is really hard. You have to be a hundred percent committed because it's really, really challenging. It's not, here's a baby and then he can go off into the sunset. It's, it's constant visits from caseworkers and, you know, neighbors and friends seeing you know, you're constantly having those people over and, It's not a secret. You have to discuss it. You know, enrolling them in preschool, you have to show court orders showing that, you know, they're, you know, in the foster care system. And I took my son to hospital and one of the porters went, oh, he's a foster kid. And it's, the ignorance is really still there. It's, it's, yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. So, yeah, you've got to get a bit of a thick skin and, and get the kids to get a bit of a thick skin about it because it will always be there. But at the same time, Pull people up on it and educate them because some people just don't know they're being ignorant until you you pull them up on it. And I think it's about education. But you've got to be strong in yourself to be able to deal with that because it's, yeah, it's pretty hurtful.
1: I think that's a response from a lot of people when – you know, you go through IVF and it's not working, um, you know, or, you you know, it's not giving you the results that obviously you hope for. Um, people tend to say, oh, you know, like, what about adoption? Have you thought about adoption? And sort of, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds and it's not as I've, you know, I've done a little bit of research on intercountry country adoption. It's not exactly like cost wise, it's actually quite expensive. Um, for a lot of people. Um, So, you know, just the flippant remarks and and it's sort of like the point is too is that why is it just infertile people that need to be adopting children as well? Um, You know, there's plenty of other fertile people out there that want to adopt or can adopt. So, you know, like I feel like the suggestion for infertile people to adopt sort of needs to halt because, you know, there is is, for for some people – there is that yearning to have a biological child of their own. Um, and for others, it's not like yourself. It's sort of, it's a process that you come to and then you decide, okay, well, you know, for me, it's not actually that important anymore. I want to provide a safe safe place for a child to grow um, because I can do that. So I think that's, yeah, um, th- that sort of opened that up for me. This whole interview has sort of just made me realise just sort of how, um, I don't know flippant that remark can be for some people as well
3: yeah it's yeah even for intercountry adoption you have to have $30,000 in the bank account before they'll even consider you so it's not a it's not a cheap process and to say oh you could just adopt like you know there's these little puppies and you just go pick them up and everything's good you you, you have to know the situation and and know whether you can whether you can do it I, I know people who've done IVF and have stopped and said they couldn't do adoption they just couldn't deal with it all and I understand that 100% because it's really difficult um but yeah it, it's the same you, you just have to educate it's like not just oh yeah I was in hospital hospital I lost a baby and the girl next to me goes I'll, I'll just do IVF if I don't get pregnant again and I thought oh my god you can't it's not like nothing so you can't just go and pay some money and get a kid it's 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 a lot more than that like you have to be mentally ready to to do it and to be strong enough to to deal with all the criticism along the way as well Mm
0: mm-hmm
1: and the rigmarole, the hoops you have to jump through to even become a parent, you know, like just looking at IVF, you know, and all the genetic testing and the processes and the conversations that you have to have with your partner, and how confronting that can be. And then now to for you guys to put adoption on top of that, that's its own set of challenges, in actual fact. And for someone to sort of make an offhand remark like that, it completely diminishes the um, <laughs> emotional hardship that you go through when you do fertility treatment I think
3: yeah or, or the number one question you get with fertility was whose fault is it <laughs> I got asked that a lot oh so was it your fault <laughs> or your husband and it was just and my husband actually stood up and he was just like it's our problem that we have to deal with and it's yeah it's really hard because if you're the one with uh, my husband said early on before we even got tested he was like if it's my fault we can't get pregnant I'll feel like just walking in front of a bus and then we got the results and it was you know something I had to deal with and I said well how do you think I feel right now and he just went I, I didn't even like comprehend like oh if it's not me you know what am I gonna do so yeah that's there's so much yeah, it's, per- uh, it's the
1: person that you love
3: yeah yeah yeah, and it's like people say. I've had religious people say it's just God's way of saying you shouldn't have children. Um, so
1: <clears throat> that gets me every time. Yeah, I my can't, I can't comment on that because I'll go.
3: <laughs> so she she really struggled with it. She was like, "But why? Why would God do something like that?" And I'm not religious, and I was like, "It's it's not any." other beings fault it's just it is what it is let's do the best that we can out of this situation
1: it's probably like i don't know if is pcos genetic like maybe oh, you know, know it's genetic and it's, I
3: don't, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, it's so hard it that that's really <laughs> hard it gets me every time yeah yep. um is there anything else you, you want to add um
3: um yeah I mean IVF's not for everyone I said to my husband last night what you know what do you think we should get out of you know doing this because I was so nervous and he said just IVF's not always the answer I still go back and see my nurse who you know has held my hand through so many awful awful moments i literally seen her last week and she was just like you know, you walk into the, the waiting room and everyone sits there and stares because you're like that magical unicorn with kids. And you just feel like saying like, yeah, don't worry if it doesn't work here. There are other options. There's so many options out there that if IVF doesn't work, it's not the end of everything. It's not the end of your marriage. It's not the end of your life. Like there's so many positive things that you can do with your life instead of, of doing IVF. Like adoption has given me so much meaning and and you know I'm able to educate family and friends about you know all the different things that are out there and people struggling with their own kids like things that I used or places that I seen because there was no help so I literally just had to go about it myself and try every avenue to try and you know help my kids so if if that's what I get out of this to like help someone go you know what let's leave IVF and and do adoption or do fostering or something like that, then yeah, I'm happy. It's worth it.
1: Um is it is it true um that basically if you are looking to um adopt from another country mm. or you're looking into country adoption or adoption within Australia that it um there is sort of i don't know if it's a spoken or an unspoken requirement that fostering um will sort of i don't want to say look better on paper but you know will sort of give you a more more of a chance to sort of or, or adopt that it's looked no. on more favorably
3: no so in-country adoption you generally have to be infertile um so you have to have a letter off your doctor saying you can't have kids for majority of the programs um so yeah, that's like number one tick. You, you literally can't have kids because they don't want people having kids, like adopting kids from overseas, then having their own kids, and you know maybe neglecting those kids or not giving them, you know, their full attention. So that's a very big rule for for overseas intercountry adoption. Locally, they don't look at oh, I want to save the world and all the poor little children in the world. They don't look at that kindly, um, which is odd they they more it's you know what have you gone through to get to this process and you have to explain why you want to do it the reasons behind it and you know all of your trauma that you've gone through and how that will help a child with their own trauma so it's it's more about that than you know already doing you know fostering or working at a school or something like that it's what you can give yeah that's
1: yeah, that's just something I've seen. I'm on I'm on the inter on an intercountry adoption page on Facebook, and something that keeps cropping up that people keep saying, and I'm I'm wondering how accurate that is. So, um, yeah. that's interesting.
3: Not easy, but yeah, it's it's worth it if if you've you know if you're determined to to make a difference and make your own life and someone else's life better, it's worth it.
1: Lovely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now.
1: If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing
0: fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Voletka Galushenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.